All right, let's get to work. Look at your neighbor and say, get ready. Look at the other one and say, are you ready? Good, let's go to the Word. Let's pray first. We need Jesus. Father, uh, thank you for today. Thank you for uh, everything you have done in all our services up until this point. I pray that the person watching us on TV will realize that you are speaking to them and them alone. I pray that every person in every one of these houses will realize that you have a customized word for them. Speak, Holy Spirit. We will open our hearts to hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said Will you stand? Let's read the word of the Lord, everybody. Please stand. Let's read the word. Uh, John chapter 13. We're going to read two verses today, 34 and 35, okay? Um, say this word with me right here, please. A. a that's not everybody. Everybody on the balcony, too. Uh, uh, one more time. A. New. Good. That's, that's about 80%. Everybody know. A. New. Good. A new commandment. Now, this is weird because in uh, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, he says the same thing. So when he says new here, this is how um, 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 people who don't believe in the faith try to trip you up. Ain't nothing new. He said it's in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. I know he does, but that's when you have to know what the original word means. It doesn't mean chronologically new. It means the word fresh. A, a fresh commandment is coming to you is what he's suggesting. Let's read what it says now. A, a new commandment I to you that you... Just you also are to my God, my God, my God. Here's what he says. I want you to love others. I want you to love your employees. I want you to love your, your peers. I want you to love your executive team. I want you to love your boss. I want you to love your spouse. I want you to love your kids. But, but not like your mama loved you. Not like your daddy loved you, not like your boo loved you, but like I love you. So he defines it and he gives no wiggle room. He says, the way I want you to love somebody is I want you to love them like I love you. What that means is you must love them exactly how Jesus loves you. He loves you unconditionally, and it does not determine, it is not determined by your behavior. He says, that's how I want you to love you. And when you do that, he says, something beautiful will happen. Next verse. He says, here's what happens when you do that. By this, if you love like this, all people will know that you are, stop right there. He says, when the church loves like he loves, the world can't take it. They can't fathom it. They don't know how. They said, he says, when you love me, I love you, and I want you to love them like I love you. He says, the, it will be the best billboard you can come up with because they will run to me if you love like I love. When it comes to parenting, he's saying the exact same thing. If you love your kids like I love you, then your kids will have a relationship with you like you've never understood before. But you got to love them like I love you, which means I don't love you by cussing at you. Uh-huh. I don't love you by yelling and screaming at you. I do not love you by loving you only when you do right. I don't love you when you uh, do something wrong. That's not how Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you regardless. 
He always does. And he says, if you're going to parent the way I'm asking you to, then you ought to parent them like I parented you. He says, when you were on your worst day, my arms were still open to you. When you were on your best day, my arms were still wide open and I wanted you to come. When the prodigal ran away, squandered all the money, all the future money, and he, the father, was staying at the door looking, waiting for him to come so he could make him the best meal he's ever eaten before. The question on the floor is, are you parenting your kids like God parented? You may be seated in the house. On today, I want to talk a little bit about Psalm 23. That's where I want to start today because I'm in the middle of uh, ending one series and starting another. I'm ending a series on parenting and I'm starting a series called Soul Care, What Your Soul Really Longs For. In that series, coming up, it's starting today, and we'll continue, it will address issues of worry, anxiety, mental health, depression, suicide, all of the above. I'm going to show you what the Bible has to say about all of those. But to conclude the last series, I've got to tie the two together, which is the one in parenting. Psalm 23 tells us, the Lord is my shepherd... I shall not. In other words, God promises that he's going to meet all your um, spiritual needs, directional needs, emotional needs, physical needs, eternal needs. And he says, there will not be a need that you have that I will not meet. That's his commitment to you if you know him and if he is your shepherd. He says, there will not be a need you have that I do not meet. No, there will be many wants you have that I don't meet, but there will not be a need you have that I don't meet. He continues, John 10, verse 10. Here's what John 10 tells us. John says, hey man, I will give you life, finish it with me, and, have, and you will have life more you got it. But before that, it says, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So everything God has prepared for you, the enemy wants to steal it from you or make it appear as if you don't have what God said you have. It's the way it works. So God says, I'm going to give you abundance. He says, I'm going to hook you up so much, you're going to be so blessed. Anything you need, I'm going to give it to you. Good God Almighty, it is sweet. He said, about 10 of you are going to go to Whole Foods and get some watermelon after this. He said, he said, he said, he said, he said, there is so much that I have for you, listen, and it is a table for two. Only two, you and God. He says, this table is always set. And it's always ready for you. There will not be a time when it will not be set for you. And he says, what I want to give you is abundance. When talk about what that means next week, when he talks about peace and joy that you can have regardless of what you're going through. 
He says, that's what I've set up for you. Then he says, I prepare, finish it with me, I prepare a table for you in the, in the presence of your enemies. No, you have to ask like me. God, could you not have prepared this table in the presence of my family? God, could you not have prepared it in the presence of my friends? Could you not have prepared it in, 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 in good territory? Why do you have to prepare it in the presence of my enemies? Because it's a table for two. And when it's a table for two, it means God's sitting in one place, you're sitting in the other, and here's what God wants you to know. He wants you to be so convinced that what he has for you is the best he could have for you that your friends and your enemies will say, well, why is it that even though I am creating havoc in your world, you still at the table, you still feasting at the table, and here's what they'll do ultimately. They'll start taking their eyes off of you and put it on him because he is the one that allows you to be stuck at the table. But when you get up and leave the table, no, all of a sudden, ain't nobody have to look at your God. Because you, like everybody else, has taken your eyes off the master. So now, the enemy's job is to do one thing. To make the thing you want the only thing that you think exists. What he's going to do is he knows you have this feast, some good pork. Lord, have mercy. Mercy, mercy, mercy. Some good crackers, some good eggs. Look at all this. This, this. this is all real, by the way. Ain't nothing here fake. Let me prove to you. Let me show you. Let me show you. Let me show you. Let me have a banana. Now, I'm sure ain't nothing here fake, y'all. Ain't nothing here fake. This is all real good. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Ain't nothing here fake. Ain't nothing here fake. Let me get a little bit of it. Ain't nothing fake. Let me get a tomato. He has what's best for you. And yet still the enemy has convinced you that the thing you don't have, the thing you don't have, let me say it one more time, the thing you don't have should cancel out all the good things that God has for you. It's the same thing he did with Eve. And he's still doing it with you and me today. He has allowed us to be so focused on the one thing which is not a need, it's a want that you, that you don't have. And now you have taken your eyes off the table and you have given it to this one distraction, this one lie, this one crook that's trying to get something from you so he can pull you away from your master. Now, no, no, no. Just because I know people are not self-aware all the time, I want you to tell me the thing that he's currently using to keep you away and make it the only thing and allow you to miss out on all that God has for you. So I want you to come on. Everybody, we're going to say it. All of us are going to say it together. All campuses. If you're at home, I want you to scream it out. Ain't nobody here to, to know what you're talking about. So I want you to all figure out what that is. And after three, we're going to say it together. Okay? So if it's, um, if it's weed... You need to say weed, all right? If it's, I know you'd laugh at that one. It's going to be silent. If it's greed, you so you don't laugh when it's greed? You laugh when it's weed. <laughs> but if, but if, but if, but if, it, the only way you know, the only way you, the way you know you're struggling with greed is if you don't give. 60% of y'all not giving. So you know we got some greed issues in it. 
So, anyways, let's go. So, if it's if it's if it's if it's if it's a mate, if it's a new mate, if it's a, a wayward kid, whatever it is, I want you to say, and I want you to say it out loud because the enemy has used it so often to keep your way from the abundance that you have in Jesus Christ. So after three, I'm going to give you a chance, and we're going to say what ours is. Now, if you don't say what yours is, it means you're listening to what everybody else's is. So you can't stay silent. And if they stay silent, point them out. Just do this. Because they're nosy, and they want to hear what you're struggling with. So since we're all going to confess, this is a global confessional today. Global, con- you know, you went to the priest in the Catholic Church, you walk up and say, Holy Father, um, I have sinned. And you tell him what you, yeah, that's what I want to hear. Okay, one, two, in a moment, I'm going to say, everybody ready? One, two, three, then you're all going to say, all right? But don't, nobody can be silent. Look at your neighbor and say, don't be silent. Good. If you're at home, yell it out, scream it out. I don't care if your kid's here, scream it out, okay? What's the one thing that the devil is keeping you away and, and, and has you so attracted to? That you've missed out on all that God has for you. Here we go. Everybody ready? Everybody ready? You ready for yours? Okay. All right. One. At three, you're going to say yours. Two. Don't forget. Everybody got to say it. Okay. Here we go. One, two, three. Anybody silent? Point them up. Okay. Good. We're there. We're there. We're there. Okay. Now listen. 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 <laughs> listen. 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 The enemy's job is to rob you of abundance. That God has created for you before the foundation of the earth. And abundance don't mean money. We're going to talk about that next week. But uh, uh, he's created this for you. He wants you at the table with him. Don't let the enemy drag you away from the table. All right, good. Now, once that's being said, the, 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 I want to move on to the next thought. The next thought initiates, it says, that you have to be very careful, parents, because, listen now, how you view God, how you currently view God is largely influenced by how your parents interacted with you. Ah, preach, pastor, preach. How, if you're not careful, the way you see God is largely determined by how your parents interacted with you. What does that mean then? It means that how you treat your kids will determine how they view God. You've got a major responsibility then, how you interact with them. And and there are four different ways you can. I'm going to talk about all four, which is why you need your sermon notes together. So here's the summary. The way you treat your children often determines the way they view God. Now, listen, 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 listen. However you feel on your worst day, when you've dropped the ball, you've acted a fool, you've made your biggest sin ever in your entire life, the way you view God in that moment, the way you think God views you in that moment is your view of God. So if you think God in that moment is like, I can't believe you do this, how could you, oh my gosh, it means you do not believe that he's sitting at the table Waiting for you to come so he can commune with you. God doesn't wait only when you're good. He waits when you're bad. Because he loves you the same whether you're bad or whether you're good. But you got a thought from your mama, from a bad Sunday school teacher that told you that God's looking over your life trying to, trying to, trying to whack a boo you when you mess up. 
Come here, let me show you. Here's the way. Four of them, take a listen. This is where you fill your notes in now. There are four ways, attachment styles we have, that if you're not careful, your kids are going to view God that way because of how you view God. Here we go. Um, so the first one is the avoidant attachment. Here we go. I don't need others. I won't tell you if I'm not okay. I rely on myself alone. Emotions are confusing and a hassle. That means you view God as a distant deity. In other words, when, you're, when, you, when you've messed up, you view God as not walking with you, but you view God as being somewhere high in the sky that wants to have nothing to do with you because you messed up. Be careful because if that's how you teach your kids, that's how they will view God. And if they view God that way, your teaching is telling them something about your Savior. Now, what I know about God is that God loves you on your best day and on your worst day the same. Since he does, he is not a distant God because my Bible says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because thou art with me, walking with me through the darkness. So be careful how you treat and interact with your kids because that's how they're going to view God. Let's go. Second one, some of you were that way. Second one is a disorganized attachment. I don't think it's possible to feel okay. Should I run or cling? I don't believe I am safe. I don't trust myself or others. I feel others make me unstable. What does that mean? That means you see in God, my view of God is as a demanding judge. You're demanded, God, and you're just telling me what to do. And, and if I mess up, you don't like me anymore. And so I don't know. I'm always walking on tippy toes so I never mess up with you. And a lot of people view God that way. That's not, okay, let me, let me ask you. That is why when the woman at the well showed up, God was not against that woman. He says, hey, I know your story. I know your story better than you know your own story because the man you're with ain't even your husband right now. And he's telling her, he did not turn his back on her. He didn't walk away from her. His arms were open toward her. My question for you is then why do you think your God's arms are closed? Why is it folded? Why is his face having a frown on it? Because somebody taught you incorrectly about God. The woman caught in adultery. All the Pharisees are yelling and screaming, and he just draws a circle. He says no words. He just writes something in the sand and says, Thou who have not sinned, you cast the first stone. Why? Because his arms are always open. The prodigal son, same thing, his arms are always open. So be careful. Love as God has loved you. Parent as God has parented you. Come here. Next one, next one, next one. Third one. We have four of them to go. Anxious attachment. I'm scared of being rejected. You know anybody like that? I, I, I don't trust myself to do well. I, I, I worry people won't care about me. I believe others are better than me. I'm afraid um, I won't cope on my own. What does that mean? It means perhaps they have a view of God, that he's a disappointed teacher, that he's a deterministic micromanager. In other words, he's, he's sitting as a teacher who has taught their very best, and now you failed the test, and they're now, they're now disgusted with you. That is not a correct view of God. He has a table for two, and he invites you to sit with him at that table and to dine with him so he can give you the abundant life. 
All other views are incorrect. But guess who wants you to think that way? The devil himself. So you can view God as a miser in the sky. So that you can join him and move away from the table that God has for you. No, last one. Here we go. Last one. Here's what it says. It says the secure attachment. Now I can relax and feel the peace that comes from God by myself. Now, I can believe I can achieve because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I believe I am lovable because God says he is love. I enjoy other people because of my security that comes from God and I can trust myself and others because of the trust that I have been given by God. Now I can trust other people. Now, my view of God is a devoted shepherd. Ladies and gentlemen, nobody's asking you to be perfect. Nobody's asking you to be flawless. Here's what we're asking you to do. To be aware when you step over into other areas that you've gone too far and for you to step back and prioritize the relationship. Because that's what your heavenly father does for you. Be careful because if you're not, you're going to determine that how, how you treat your kids, your kids are going to view it as how you now decide that they are going to view God. You know how I know this? Because none of us are perfect. Your parents weren't perfect. My parents weren't. My dad was a military guy. So you know what I always thought about God? One, that he was distant. And two, that he was trying to figure out where it's going to go wrong. And he was going to fix me. And he was going to discipline me. And yes, he, there are times when God disciplines us, but his arms are always open toward the relationship. And my only point is that you've got to be careful, parents, uh, those who influence others, that you're not trying to simply say to your kids, I am going to remove the relationship and go far away from you when you don't behave the way I want you to. God inspires and invites. He does not coerce and he does not figure out a way to condemn you so you can do what's right. He inspired. That's why he went to the cross to die for you. You know why relationships are important to God? Guess what sin did? Broke the relationship. Guess what he did? Died on a cross to repair the relationship. That's why relationships are so important. That's why when you're parenting, you're parenting toward a relationship, not toward the behavior exclusive that you want. Because sometimes they're going to believe different than you. And when they do, it's going to be the test of whether you will go relational or whether you will go beliefs. And Christians, we fail all the time because of this. Come here, let me show you what I mean. Lord, have mercy. Mercy, mercy. Everybody know what this is? This is a drawbridge. A drawbridge is one where when something is coming that needs to pass underneath it, then what you do is you pull the drawbridge up so something can pass by. And when that's passed by, then you let the drawbridge down. And so all of a sudden, now you can walk on it again. Let me explain what most parents do. What lots of parents do when, they, when things are not going well with your kids, you decide that you don't want to relate to them anymore. And so you pull up the drawbridge and say, you will not live in this house if you keep acting a plum fool like that. And so what you do is you pull up the drawbridge and you keep it up and you say, I will reject you until you behave the way I want you to behave. The problem with that is that's not how God loves you. 
He does not pull away and say, I will not until you change your attitude. He doesn't do that. Actually, let me show you what Jesus does. Jesus says, I know you earthly people love to operate with a drawbridge. And Jesus says, let me show you what I do. Actually, for Jesus, there is no rope with any drawbridge because the bridge is always down. He went to the cross to die for you so that bridge can always be down. So you always have a relationship with Jesus. He's always there. On your worst day, he's there. On your best day, when you think you're doing good, when you really ain't doing that good, he's still there. Because his goal is to make sure he died for that relationship so you can always have access to him. Parents, parents, be careful that you don't set a standard for your kids. That when you do and you pull the drawbridge up, now you've said to them, I don't want to interact with you. When you do that, you have just told them. Listen to what you told them. You just told them. I reject your thinking and I reject you. The reason you want to parent toward the relationship is because relationships, if you have a good one, it means you have influence. And influence means when they're at the fork making their most significant decisions, they will come to you and ask you for your advice. When you don't, then they're going to go to social media and TikTok and they're going to go to some joker who, who's smoking weed to tell them what to do. I'm telling you, you want to please, I'm pleading with you, you want to manage the relationship, keep that drawbridge down, even when they're not behaving the way you want them to behave. Can I get a witness, somebody? So turn the page over. Here's what we've said so far then. Well, we suggested then, some of you, there are four stages. We talked about this in the intro. There are four stages of parenting. This is huge. And so you have the, the age of discipline, the age of training, the age of coaching, and the age of friendship. We've talked about it already. Here's the challenge. The challenge is some of you are saying, Pastor, you don't get it. I, I, I didn't discipline and I didn't train. I know I'm in the coaching years. I know I'm trying to discipline in the coaching years. And you're saying, Pastor, I don't know what to do because they're not listening to me. Here's what I'm telling you to do. Don't pull that bridge up. Don't pull the drawbridge up. Because what you want is that relationship to be, to be intact. So when they need you, you're there. Ladies and gentlemen, they're going to come home and they're going to say, I don't believe in your God anymore. I promise you one day they might. And when they do, the worst thing you can do is pull up that drawbridge and then say, go live buck wild crazy. I don't care about you. You want the relationship. So when they come to their senses, they know they can come home. I'm trying to help somebody. I really am trying to help somebody today. And so when, when, you get to the, when you get to the friendship years and they're gone from your house and you're like, well, well, what am I trying to do here? I mean, they're not doing what I want them to do. And when you get to this say, you still want the, the bridge down. Do not have this hill that you will die on. Well, as long as you do this, I will never. That, that, is, that, is, that, is, that is military terms, okay? That's not parenting terms. You want to maintain the relationship. Look at your neighbor and say, maintain the relationship. Look at the other one and say, for real, maintain the relationship. Okay, good. Now, let's go. Here we go. Let's get to these and then we're done. Number one, the first off, parenting, parenting with the relationship in mind positions you to lead with your values rather than your beliefs. Parenting with the relationship in mind positions you to lead with your, say this word with me, to lead with your not your 
To lead with your, not your, that's not everybody. To lead with your, not your. It is very easy for people, parents that is, to say, if you don't believe like I believe, then I'm done with you. Let's, let's take back out of parenting for a moment. Do you know why our culture is in the state that it's in, in America today? I'm going to tell you why. Our culture is in the state that it's in because what social media has done is it's curated content that you like, that is in line with how you think. So now you only have one side of every story. And now they have coached you so that if anybody thinks differently from you, you know what they tell you to do? Pull your bridge up. And so if they don't think like you, vote like you, act like you, look like you, smell like you, eat what you eat, then you need to pull the bridge up and have nothing to do with them. Well, this is fine for the rest of the world, but not so with you. Because God says, I need this bridge down. Because there's something more important than what you believe. And that is that I went to the cross and died for your sins and the person you don't like sins. And if you shut them out, then there's nobody else to tell them about Jesus. I'm telling you, you cannot just pull your bridge up and say, I don't like you anymore. I hate you now. You cannot do that because you have now lost influence forever if you do that. So we can't. I don't care if they vote differently. I don't care if they love somebody you hate. I don't care if they want somebody to win. Well, how could you? I can't believe. I don't want to talk to you no more. The world is setting us up so that there's two different sides to everything. And you got to choose. If you are a believer, the side you choose is your bridge is down. And you will not let somebody's belief make you not want to relate to them. I don't care how bad they did to you. It does not. Why? Because there is something more important than your feelings. And that's the gospel. And listen, without realizing it, you're teaching your kids the same thing. Act like you. Which is why when some of your kids have a conflict at school and they come home and you side with one instead of hearing both sides, you just set them up for drawing the bridge up. We can't afford to. That's what the culture wants us to do. You can't. You've got to be able to live in the tension of somebody thinking radically differently than you. That's why when your kids come home and say, Dad, all my friends are, 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 are like this kind of lifestyle. And, and, and you're like, no, 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 calm down. Calm down. And let them hear what they have to say so you can hear their hearts about it. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Don't pull up your bridge. Because the moment you do it, they call you a freak. They call you somebody from out of space. Because you don't live in the world that they live in with their cell phones and their classmates. And so now you have to teach them how to live in that world and still, and still love Jesus. Be in the world, but not of the world. Quit trying to think that you can take them out of it and protect them. That's why when they go to college, all their, all their professors are going to do is wax eloquent about your mama's religion because it's not theirs, it's their mama's. And then all of a sudden they walk away from the faith and you're, you want the God of all the life. And you're crying about what you did wrong. And the answer is, because when you didn't like somebody, you pulled up your bridge. And Christians today, we're known for pulling up our bridge. And I'm telling you, it is, it, is, it is ashamed in the presence of God. Because the way he loves us, he never pulls it up. Therefore, we don't get to do it either. 
we get to live in the world and hear arguments that you completely disagree with and that probably sometimes will make your stomach churn. And yet still, you know, there is a God and there's coming a day when they're going to face him face to face and you want to be able to say, God, my bridge was always down and they could always have a relationship with me because I was not afraid of their argumentation. I love them more than their beliefs. Can I get a witness somewhere? What many of us try to do is we try to convince them. We're trying to convict them. We're trying to coerce them. We're trying to control them so that they can do what we say instead of focusing on the relationship and leading for the relationship so that you value your values rather than their beliefs. Be careful. Let's keep on going. Number two. Second thought then. What do we need to do? Uh, how do you need to develop your kids' faith? Quickly. Number one. First thing you need to do to develop their faith so that they realize that God has a table for two for them is what, five things. Number one, you ought to help them develop the, a personal relationship with God. Everybody, please listen to me. It's not, you, you don't want them to have your relationship. You want them to have their own relationship. You want them to have their own, which means you have to tell them and teach them all the time. Well, what did God say to you about that? Don't just tell them the answer. Ask them, what did God say to you? Why is that so important? Because when they go off to college, you want the professor to say, well, your mama's Bible was wrong, and here's where it's wrong. And you, you, they don't even need to debate that. Here's why. Because they can say, professor, you might be true on one or two arguments over here, but here's what you cannot take from me. I know God because I walked with him, and I talked with him. Him, and I hung out with him and I had a relationship for myself with him. My dad one day, my dad, uh, one day I'm trying to go play soccer on a Sunday and you know my dad old school so he'd be like, son, the Sabbath is a day to keep holy and you don't play foot, uh, soccer on those days. About two years later, he flipped it. I got older and he said, son, why don't you ask God what you think you should do on this day? He says, now, I've asked him, and I'm not coming to watch you. I'm going to church. But you need to ask God what you need to do. And he allowed me to go play. What's he trying to do? He's trying to get me to develop my own relationship with God. What's he trying to, what are you trying to get to your kids? Develop their own walk with God. Whether they're five, whether they're 50, whether they're 25. You're trying to get them to say, what did God say to you about this? Um, every time we have an accident in our car, uh, driving to school or whatever, uh, we, have a, we have a rhythm. What do we do? We know if there's an accident, somebody's mom perhaps um, is going to be alarmed. If she wasn't in it, she's going to be alarmed. We know that the dad's going to be hurt, cousins, aunt. There's a whole family that's going to be hurt all because of what one accident. So every time we do it, my kids naturally say, now, hey, man, who's praying for that accident? Why? Why, 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 why? why do I instill that? Because I want them to know that when anything happens around them, there's a God that they can go to, to appeal so that he will hear their cry and attend unto their prayer. Why, 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 why? Because I want them to have their own personal relationship with God. Can I get a witness, somebody? Number two. Number two. Uh, oh, my God. Oof. Model paying attention to your heart and to their heart. You ought to model paying attention to your heart. If we fix this one, if we fix this one alone, Christianity will see millions more people get saved if we fix this one alone. 
six questions, five questions to ask yourself to monitor your own heart. You ready? Five of them. If I were you, I'd write all of them down. I'll take a picture. I'll do. Here we go. Number one. Every time, every night, when you go to bed, here's the question. Did, did anyone hurt you today? Did anyone hurt you? Why? Because I want you to deal with it now. Don't go to bed with this on your mind. I want you to get it out. I want you to get whatever is in your heart out today. By the way, do you know why we do communion every single week? I mean, every other week we do it now. You know why? So that we can settle accounts. So you can manage your heart and guard your heart. Because from your heart comes everything else that happens. Flows all of life from your heart. Here's question number three. Read it with me, everybody. Are you worried about... Come on, that's not everybody. Are you about... Can you imagine if Christians asked that? Adults every day? Am I worried about anything? God, what do I need to cast? My care upon you today, not to tomorrow. I'm casting it today. What do I need to do, God, to cast my cares upon you so I don't stay worried about this thing? Here's the next one. Is there anything you want to tell me, but you are not sure how? And you want to do it at night when they're tired and when they just want to get you out of the room. So they'll just tell you whatever is on their heart to get you out. It's all a strategy. Tell them at night when they're tired. And they'll just start talking, 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 talking. All right, here's the next one. And by the way, don't only do this with your 5-year-old and 10-year-old. Do it with your 15-year-old too. Because they got to guard their hearts too. Here we go. Is there anyone, anybody's, ooh. Everybody read it. Stop writing, stop writing, stop writing, stop writing, stop writing, stop writing. If we fix this one alone, here we go. Read it with me. Is tell the truth, shame the devil. If there's somebody's, <laughs> if there's an ex, if you done, I wish God, God will you? Get him, God, get him. Get him, God, get him. Like God is some hound dog that you release to get somebody you hate. Right, sick him. That's the word. Sick him, Lord, sick him. Get him, Lord, get him. And you celebrate when they, when they lose their job. Yes, God. Glory to God. Why do you have a praise party? When they lose their job. What kind of, what kind of heart have you allowed to build up over the years? That you will hate somebody that much. That you don't want to celebrate their failures. That's because you and I are not loving like God loves us. Because he does not want you. He does not celebrate when you fail. He weeps over the sin of Israel. So why? Do you think it's so now if we do this, then we're modeling it for the kids. If we don't do this, and if we model hatred for them, then guess what? They will reproduce the same thing. So you need to guard your heart too. Last one. This, ooh, the answer is gonna be you. Did you did somebody break a promise today? And the answer, yeah, dad, you did. You told me I'd have donuts this morning, and we didn't get donuts. That's what it is in my house, at least. All I'm asking you is to guard your own heart by asking yourself the questions and then ask your kids. Let's keep moving. Come on. Let's go. Number, number, what number we at? Three? Number, number three. Model a life of 
prayer in every season. What does that mean? In every season you're in, whether they're in the training season, whether they're in the coaching season or friendship season, you must model. Don't let them not, don't, don't not pray with them because they're not babies anymore. Your job is to pray with them every single, every single season. Model a season. Of, why? Because prayer says I'm dependent on God. And prayer says I need a relationship with God so I can depend on him, so I can ask him for whatever is on my heart. Number four. Number four says that it's your turn now to share your own faith journey. Oh, my God. It's your job to share your own. What does that mean? That means tell them mistakes that you've made. Not only, the, not only were you a hero. Y'all love to talk about, oh, yeah, I prayed and God showed up and I break down, shaking together, burning over. I prayed that I'd be the 100-meter champion and I became the 100-meter champion. I came that I'd be the best cheerleader and I became the best cheerleader. I prayed. No, no. Share somewhere you messed up. They need to know where you, you know the best, I promise you this. You know the best stories that my kids love the most? When their grand, when my parents show up, and then all of a sudden, they get to ask my parents, Grandpa, tell me when Daddy lied. <laughs> it's their best day on the planet. Yes, yes, Daddy, you a liar. <laughs> I promise. They, they absolutely, tell us, tell us when he did something real bad. Tell us what did he do. You know why they love it? Because finally, you make up all the rules in their world. And finally they can say, you mess up too. <laughs> and it normalizes it. Then they say, Grandpa, what did you do? Tell me the thing that you've spanked him for the worst. When did he really need a good spanking, Grandpa? And, and for some reason, my parents love to tell these stories. But you must not tell your kids all your stories. Because some of you love to dump the whole truck. Then they're going to say, well, you, you, I mean, does God even love you? You're so bad. <laughs> Come on, I got to go. I got to go. I got to go. Last one, last one, last one, last one, last one. Here we go, here we go. Keep, keep, keep. Okay, now listen. Keep them kids engaged in church. Keep your kids. In, don't wait till they're 16 and tell the church perform a miracle. You know, you know some of your kids bad. Don't wait till they're 16. Get them in church early. Get them in church early. And by the way, it's not always the teacher's fault. You ever notice how these parents come in and always want to blame the teacher? No, 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 no. If you're going to train your kids, train your kids how to respect teachers. Too. All the teachers in the house talking about, say it! This is so huge, y'all. I'm telling you. You've got to make sure you engage them in church early. If you don't consider church important, they won't either. If you don't consider Jesus at the center, they won't either. And you can parent toward becoming the best athlete and becoming the best superstar and the best academician. You can do all that. But here's what you need to know. When you parent toward that, you're not parenting toward the relationship. Which means that when they get older, they're not going to want to hang out with you. And they won't because they're like, oh my God, I'm sick and tired of you telling me what to do my whole life. So parent toward the relationship. So after they leave, they have a desire to come home and hang out with you. Let's land the plane. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Last one, four axioms, and then we're done. You will, your win will determine, your win will determine your role in the development of their faith. You can try to make the win, Bible scholar. You can try to make the win because I can talk about this all day. Christian, academic, or athletic. You can do that. But I want to suggest that you make the win. A healthy relationship with your kids 
where they want to come hang with you when they don't have to. A healthy relationship with your kid. When they want to come hang with you. When you do you know, what, you, you know who you run to when the bottom falls out? Jesus. You know why? Because the bridge is down and he prioritized relationship. He's asking you to do the same with him. Let's pray. Father. God, I know we're not perfect. I know we're trying. Um, I know you don't ask us. You ask us to pursue you, but you, you know we can't be perfect until we get to heaven. Will you help us to be better, better parents by simply understanding our tendencies and then seeking to love as you have loved us and to parent as you have parented us? Will you teach us how to do that? Will you keep us and teach us to keep the drawbridge down? And even when we, when we want to pull it up because we're so hurt and we're so emotional and we're, so, we're in such aching and pain, help us to keep it down. When those kids get addicted to something and, 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 and everything in us wants to just pull it all away, will you help us to put right boundaries and, and keep the bridge down? Will you teach us how to do that, please? Because there is a generation that are in desperate need to see us model what it looks like to have a healthy relationship with Jesus? Will you teach the one family how to do that so we can raise a generation of kids that love you, have their own relationship with you, and cannot wait to get to the table and to feast with you? Will you teach us how to do it by modeling first? In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Will you give God a round of applause right where you are, everybody?